Pretty lively and passionate. Amir Zidane, the owner of Country Grammar and the late Medina Spirit, who was stripped, uh, for the time being at any rate, of his Kentucky Derby victory by the KHRC last week. And that is where we start this week's talking points. I mean, I think the, the key news to take out of that, and there were, there were plenty who got very upset that the owner of the horse should have any sort of platform to, to defend Bob Baffert, but... Everyone's entitled to their opinion, Lee. I mean, the key news to take forward from that is this ain't going away. I, mean, I think the last Kentucky Derby winner that was disqualified for a banned substance in the 1960s, I think it took four years. Did it really? To be finally as resolved. As long as that, right, OK. I mean, stand by in the modern world. Well, yeah. And this We're is going a, all the way to the Supreme Court. This is, this is litigation central, isn't it? I mean, this, this could go on, as you say, for years. I don't see any reason why anyone uh, could complain about Medina Spirit's owner having a platform to express his position on the subject. You might not agree with what he says, but he's, a, he's absolutely entitled to say what he thinks, and he's absolutely entitled to defend Bob Baffert if that's what he passionately believes, and it clearly is what he passionately believes. I think where we are, though, we are in this quite extraordinary situation where the yet again the Kentucky Derby's name has been sullied, and not for the first time, as we know, in in recent years, and you have the position of America's number one trainer, the face of horse racing in America, um, being taken uh, through the cleaners reputationally. You have um, the, 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 the racing authorities in, in Kentucky, uh, most recently mounting a fierce defence when his legal team uh, started to mount a challenge on this one, talking about how he just continually makes up uh, excuses for why his horses test positive. I mean, there's a real venom there in now what the mm. Kentucky officials are saying. You've got the, the case with, uh, in effect, New York trying to boot him out of, of the sport over there. And all this at a time when, and you will know this better than I do, Nick, the reputation of American horse racing in America is really being hit hard. One of my colleagues, Peter Scargill, wrote a Racing Post members email this week in which he highlighted... Um, a financial agency, um, I can't remember the name, uh, Fitch, I think its name is, who commented on a bond that Delmar had issued a few years ago, and basically saying that they think that is now junk, and that Delmar will become more and more unprofitable because horse racing in California... Because they're looking reputationally at horse yeah, racing in the round. Yeah, this is damaging the reputation yeah. of horse racing. So you have the individual case here of this... this, this fascinating but desperately sad case, not least mm. because Medina Spirit is no longer with yeah, us as exactly. well. But you have what it's doing to American horse racing. And as you rightly point out, Nick, this is not going to be a flash in the pan. No. This will be like Dynasty or Dallas. There'll be season after season. It will go on and on. And there's going to be a lot of, um, a, a lot of negative headlines over the years to come because I... I, I sense, well, I'm sure that Bob Buffett isn't going to lie down. And you heard there of a very powerful racehorse owner who's going to make sure that financially... Yeah, he's he has emboldened the, to do that. He has the heft to keep fighting. Yeah. Um, it's bad. That's Amir Zidane, the, uh, the owner of the late Medina Spirit. And Country Grammar, by the way, who, who both Baffer and Zidane confirmed would go for the Dubai World Cup and he'd have a, a right chance on yesterday's run as well. Now, you want to talk about the £3 allowance? Well, uh, only in the sense, Nick, that it's, it's raised its head again um, this week because the, uh, the BHA announced that plans to, uh, int or to remove the, the £3 allowance that jockeys have been receiving and replace that with a £2 rise in the weights 
has been put on hold indefinitely until a solution can be found with the jockeys. It, it's interesting because this is a subject that has really um, angered jockeys. Um, they were angry that they believed the BHA wasn't understanding of of their needs, their their physical and mental needs, and the good that they believe the three pound allowance has done them at a time when soreness had been taken out of use on race courses. I think the frustration that the BHA has felt and others have felt as well is that there was initially a lack of understanding. Mm among the jockeys the, who just thought that, that minimum weights were being raised and not appreciating that all weights were being raised. So that in general terms, um, an 8 stone 10 jockey, they were saying, well, I can't ride a horse at 8 stone 10 anymore, but all those 8 stone 10 horses will be running off 8 stone 13. Not sure. all completely. There would be some, some, some differences. But in general terms, it's not quite a like for like. Um, I think what will happen, Nick, over the coming weeks is the BHA will agree to increase the £2 rising weights to a £3 rising weight. So all weights will rise by £3. I think they'll look at those instances where weights weren't always going to rise. There's individual cases and some of those will, will rise as so well. So that means you still get a £3 cushion. Yeah, absolutely. Rather than that, yeah. Okay. So, so in effect, your horse that would have run off 8 stone 5 will run off 8 stone 8. Mm -hmm. So there isn't, there isn't in that sense... A change, and I think it is important that this eventually is enacted, just because of transparency. Um, we have a situation where, quite rightly, jockeys have a three-pound allowance for for back protectors, which is as it should be, mm. and that happens all over the racing world. That doesn't appear on race cards, but we had a situation here whereby another three-pound allowance wasn't appearing on race cards. And if you look at winter all-weather flat racing. Jockeys get an additional. Did they have pound. to use it all though? That's the thing. Again, yeah. So what if you're allowed? So what what if you're sl slated to carry eight eight? Yeah. And you you can you can carry up to eight eleven. Yeah. But you could easily weigh out comfortably at eight nine. I think that's one of the reasons why some people have got question marks about the current system. Do we know what the well, hell yeah. weight these horses are carrying? Yeah, and, and that's why transparency is so important. At least with a weight rise, the number on the page is at least closer to the number, the weight that the horse is actually carrying. Okay. I think there's nothing wrong at all with the jockeys having had an allowance. It was completely the right thing to do. I don't think there's anything wrong in general terms with the allowance becoming a weight rise. And I think that allows people to actually see more accurately what a horse is actually carrying, which can't be a bad thing. Okay, got to move us on. New fences. New fences? Why, why are they new? What's well, new about it's not them? so much the fences that are new, it's the furniture right. around the fences. So um, if you look at a hurdle or a steeplechase now, you will see uh, the, the, the base, the, the middle board, the top board, they're, they're, all, they're all painted orange. Now, very clever scientific people have worked out through a study that the BHA Commission undertaken by the University of Exeter mm -hmm. that horses actually can struggle with the colour of orange. Apparently they can't differentiate, I'm trying to get my words right here, between red, orange and green and that it would be more helpful for them if the those tape Yeah, they always boards, used to say that horses can only see in black and white. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why now that furniture on, oh. on fence and hurdles is going to become white. It will kick in at Stratford at some point over the, the coming months. Richard Phillips, his yard was used as... Um, part of the, the research, if you like, and he reported to the Racing Post this week the horses actually jumped a lot better 
when they so saw had, these... far fewer fallers on the school yeah. ground. Now, you've got Henrietta Knight coming in shortly. I think that from what she was saying to me out there, that she might have had a different Don't experience. give it all away. Uh, well, no, we'll, 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 I'll, I'll leave it. There'll be a lot from Henrietta to come anyway, so you're not going to miss out on anything. Um, I think what, what's interesting, though, in, in, in a general sense, is this is welcome. I think it's great when very clever people try and take the sport forward. forward. Yeah. You know, we're always looking to do all that we can with equine welfare to make the sport um, as safe as it possibly can be. It's always going to be a risky sport for humans and horses, but if we can make it as safe as, we ca- as it can be, that has to okay. be a good thing. And I think it's great that, as I say, very clever people are looking into this and trying to find things that, that we can do better. As with these new, the new hurdles that we see on a number of race courses, I guess yeah. they're going to be rolled out across the, mm-hmm. the board in time. It's just another example of the sport trying to do the best trying it can. Yeah. Let's talk about the 2022, that is this year, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. 2022 derby. I'm um, still struggling with the year that we're in, Nick, but we are in entry. 2022. Now, years are complicated here because we had the entries for the 2023 derby before the 2022 derby. Is this the COVID thing? Yeah. So normally the derby has an, a yearling entry stage whereby owners make a, a very early gamble, not for a huge sum of money, but they put their horse in the derby. And if they don't do, they can then go in at a second entry stage in April or even supplement further down the line. That was deemed not possible for the 2022 derby because conditions were so different back in 2020, mm. but it would have been a, a, a big ask. Okay, so what's the upshot? So the upshot is that we had the first entry stage for this year's derby uh, this week. There were 91 horses entered. There would have been two, well, there, were, there are 278 horses entered for the yearling derby stage, which underlines that when you get closer to the race, owners obviously have more of an idea whether a horse might be a derby horse or not. And what what I think will be interesting is in the coming years, how this influences the thinking of the jockey club for the derby going forward. Will they continue with a system whereby tons of horses are entered in the derby as yearlings when owners have got no idea whether the horses have any talent or not? Or will they revert to a system that we have now, which is more in line with the other classics and Mm -hmm. other major races, whereby owners and trainers have at least some idea whether a horse might be deemed worthy of entering and being entered for the derby. Of course, there are financial issues because the yielding entry stage works very well for the funding of the derby. What we've got this year might not, it turns out, we might find out, doesn't work quite so well. So it will be... 24 out of 91 from Ballydoyle. 24 out of 91 for Bally Doyle, yeah, uh, including, of course, Luxembourg. One horse who might create quite a bit of a stir uh, over the coming weeks is a two-year-old Nick, whose name escapes me, ran second in the Breeders' Cup. Uh, Kenny McPeak, owned by Phoenix Kenny Thoroughbreds. How have they, let it, how have they well, let it be entered? So, Phoenix Thoroughbreds, of course, aren't allowed to have horses racing in Britain for very understandable reasons. Yeah, um, Tizabom, that's correct. Tizabom, is it? Um, but... Kenny McPeak has said oh, that yes. the, ex- the the plan is to lease the horse to their own enterprise. So in effect, he'll be leased away from Phoenix for the duration of a time he has an entry in British racing. I would argue <laughs> that is not entirely satisfactory. And whilst it might be within the uh, the letter of the law, the spirit of the, of the law... law is being rather broken. Okay, that is that's a, kind of almost a talking point in itself there. But let's yep. move on to Very Elegant, who has come back off a layoff having won the Melbourne Cup, dropped right back in trip, won the Chipping Norton Stakes at Fl- Randwick. Randwick. Yeah. I mean, that's that was a 
fantastic performance. Yeah, now Nick, I, I have sat in this chair more than once and eulogised about Australian racing, but particularly about my beloved Winks, who of mm -hmm. course was an absolutely sensational uh, race man. Are you going to have to take the picture out of out of the locket now and replace uh, it with? There is on the wall. I'm actually waiting. The picture's been with a framer in, in Ashton for four weeks. Our very elegant winning the Melbourne Cup last year, so that will be on the wall quite soon as well. She's an extraordinary horse. Trained by an extraordinary. I, was only, I wasn't shaking my head at that. I was shaking my head at the fact that it's taken the frame as four weeks to sort he your picture out. He does a good out. job, though. He does a good job. Yeah. Um, an extraordinary trainer, Chris Waller, who who nurtured the career of, of of Winks, has now got very elegant. Who, as I say, has won eleven Group Ones. Ten of those have been different races. But the most amazing thing about her is that in November she won a very good Melbourne Cup, even without the internationals, over two miles. She's now dropped back in distance to a mile mm -hmm. and won a Group 1. It says a lot about her, but it also says a lot about Australian racing in that it follows a model similar to what I've, I've heard espoused by Mark Johnson in the past, who has said that there's a danger that we put horses in boxes too much and we say, that's a mile and a half horse, that's a soft ground horse, yep. and we don't understand that horses can do a lot more than we realise. As, um, as the ex-Johnston trainee Making Miracles showed yesterday. Absolutely, and we see so many of our horses going over there and show that they can perform at, at very different distances if trained slightly differently. And I think that is something that I would love to see more of here, horses campaigned slightly more ambitiously, perhaps slightly more courageously, to see what these horses can do. But very elegant has shown that she can do amazing things. They are talking about wanting to run in the Prix de Light, the Triumph. I really hope they do, because I'm not saying she'd win a, a Prix de Light, the Triumph, but she'd be a wonderful addition to the race, and I am certain that she would not disgrace okay. herself. You need two hours for this next one. Go on. Well, given the evolving geopolitical crisis yeah. at the moment... Um, and we talked earlier on about the confluence of sport and politics yeah. and uh, how the two meet and yeah. how sport should have an effect on the political situation. What do we make of the fact that the United Arab Emirates, soon to host the Dubai World Cup, uh, is um, amongst the abstentions to the uh, sanctions on, on Russia at yeah. the moment? And is the sporting world, and this isn't just a racing question, no, is the sporting world likely to expand its own sanctions to include those countries who are not standing with the rest of the world against Russia, do you think? It, it, I don't know. I mean, I don't know well, the answer. Well, no, and, and I don't know either, but what we have seen is that the sporting world has reacted to to Russia in a in perhaps a far stronger way than some of us might have expected um, to, and it will be interesting to see if it does do that. But with, it's following government, isn't it? It's following government, but sport doesn't always um, follow government or uh, morality. Um, it has done on this occasion. It will be interesting to see what happens in relation to India, China, and, as you say, the UAE, for their own reasons, chose not to uh, go along with this uh, UN motion, abstaining from it. And in, in a wider sense, it does go back to that question of the relationship between sports and politics that we spoke about earlier on, and my belief that they, can, that they can't be kept apart all the time. There are the times when, when they have to to come together. I was expressing before how my own view as, as, a, as a gay man, I find it very hard to enthuse about the Saudi Cup and other races in that region mm. because over there, people like me live in fear of flogging or, or even, well, far worse than that, death. Um, so I find it difficult. But in a wider sense, there is always that question of where do we draw a line? Because if you look around the world, 
There are nations who have moral codes, legal codes, far different to ours in terms of mm. numerous human rights issues. And all sorts of different human rights issues Absolutely, as well. Nick. And it is incredibly difficult. And I wouldn't be, be critical of, of anyone for uh, supporting any of, of, of these races. You, everyone has to make their, their own decisions. I think what I would say is that up to now... Horse racing has been perhaps one of those sports that has been reluctant to have a moral conversation with itself. We've seen in golf recently the debates between the position held by Phil Mickelson and Rory McIlroy over the new the new Saudi League. Yeah, I um, mean, I, just to, my position on racing in the Gulf, yeah. particularly, and a lot of the states you're talking about are based in the Middle East. Yeah, is that horse racing is not an inauthentic pursuit in the no. Gulf. Uh, they, they've been riding and racing, you know, horses. I mean, this is where the modern, absolutely modern, uh, originally Arabian thoroughbred has, has descended absolutely. from. So it doesn't feel as though this is a this is this is a pursuit that is alien to those to those countries, and there is genuine uh, local support for the horse and thoroughbred racing in those countries, if that, if that makes any sense. It makes absolute sense, and I think it's a perfectly fair argument. I suppose Saudi Arabia in particular has raised question marks because of their recent uh, expansion yeah, I, into the sporting market, yes. as with this as with this golf, uh, this golf league and the debate that's taking place within golf around that. Racing hasn't tended to have that conversation for very obvious reasons because of the immense funding that comes from that part of the world. And say, so in, in general terms, Nick, I think we all have to make our own decisions. My my perspective on on racing, working in racing in that part of the world, comes from my position and who I am. Um, we all have to draw a line somewhere. We all have to say, on this point, I'm this side of the line. On that point, I'm that side of the line. I'm almost certainly hypocritical on a number of points on this. But in terms of Saudi, I am very much on mm. one side of the line. But this, but, I mean, this question we started was, is, is anything going to happen yep. from a sporting point of view because countries haven't signed up to the UN motion? Yep. Is, are those sanctions from the sporting community against Russia going to be expanded to India, China, the UAE? I don't know. And obviously, you know... China up to a point, and particularly yeah. the UAE, that has implications for global horse racing. I don't know, but I would say with horse racing in particular, in relation to the UAE, I yeah. very much doubt it. OK. Um, let's talk a little bit about, because we've had Paul Nichols, we're about to have Henrietta tonight. Oh, oh, to have had them together. Yeah, I know. I know. Bloody COVID. I know. It's soon to end, the regulations, I think. I can, I think, as of next week. I was saying to Hen out there, she just needs to open the door now again. You just shout into the room just to give, give a, a bit of debate. But you, viewers are in for a treat when she sits in this chair because she's going to be... You've built it up now. Well, and, but she won't let me down. Okay. Hen, Henrietta Knight will be fantastic and fascinating in this chair. And she has raised this interesting subject. We've been debating... Uh, GBV Ireland and the relative positions of jumping in the two nations uh, ever since that 23-5 scoreline at the Cheltenham Festival. We're almost certainly going to be debating it through Cheltenham and thereafter again this year. Um, I've been in involved in, a, in a, a jumps review group that's tried to look at this and efforts will be made to make changes to the programme. Um, of races over here, particularly in relation to um, certain graded races to try and prune the programming and increase the competitiveness mm -hmm. of racing over here, which I think lacks is lacking relative to Ireland. And obviously there are efforts to 
increased prize money of racing uh, over here. Although I think if you look at a lot of divisions, Nick, there isn't actually a huge difference. Outside of novice grade ones, most graded races over here actually compare very favourably to races in Ireland. I think what's interesting in this debate is that Henrietta Knight has come in and said that she believes one reason why Ireland is more successful than Britain at the moment is that they have better trainers. Now, it was a comment that surprised me. It surprised Paul Nichols, and Henrietta Knight will not be surprised to know it surprised people. Um, I, I'm not a racehorse trainer, so I, 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 it's very hard for me to judge how one is compared to the other. But you teased this beautifully. I think I, 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 I know my role here, but I, <laughs> I don't. I, I would be very surprised if, as a group, Ireland's racehorse trainers are better than Britain's racehorse trainers. But I'm looking forward to seeing what Henry, Henrietta Knight says about it. That good. That helpful. So good. Thank you. So good. Uh, Lee Mottishead, ladies and gentlemen.